hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Of course, we're engaging the story of Christmas, and it isn't easy. We've heard the story so many times, and that's, that's a good thing. But let's not check out because we know the story, we've heard the story, because we, we, we may see something else in the story maybe that the Lord has never shown us before. Last week, Pastor Rod talked about why Christ came. This weekend, we're going to talk about how He came. And I want you to think about in your own life, I want you to think about something in regard to your life where you might ask the question, how can this be? How can this be? You know, when Sharon and I, uh, when we first got married, we were living in Bolivar, Missouri, which is north of Springfield, Missouri. I was in college there, and Sharon was working to put me through school. <clears throat> she has a Ph.D. Uh, putting hubby through. And, uh, and so uh, she was working hard, and from time to time, you know, when we saved our pennies, we would go to the local McDonald's there in Bolivar, Missouri, and we would enjoy breakfast together. And uh, I remember early on when we would go to McDonald's, we'd have the breakfast. The first or second time, I remember, honey, now you, you go ahead and order, right? Ladies first. And she would order her breakfast. And I, I remember this so vividly. She said something like this, I will have the Egg McMuffin without the egg. And I thought, did I, did I hear that correctly? She's getting an Egg McMuffin without the egg. Of course, I'm wondering, is it even an Egg McMuffin now? Isn't it more just a, this thing that has some Canadian bacon and cheese? And, and, and Is it really an Egg McMuffin without the egg? Can you answer that? It's a, it's a legitimate question. I, I don't know if it is or not. Culturally, it's like much of culture is ordering Christmas and saying, can you hold the Christ? Can you hold the Jesus? And we don't mind Jesus in the manger. That's cool. We're good with that. But the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to take away the sins of the world, will take Christmas without the Christ. Matthew chapter 1, let's read beginning in verse 18, the account, Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. He begins and says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Oh, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The angel saying, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken in Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name 
Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we take this moment tonight, and we have had the chance to sing and come to the table. We ask that you speak to us fresh from this incredible birth narrative of our Savior. Lord, we invite you into the time. Speak to us. Let us be all here for the next few moments, ready to receive your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen and amen. You know, research shows that in America, fewer and fewer Americans, if you will, actually believe in the virgin birth. But the virgin birth is not a take-it-or-leave-it matter. It is the issue that touches at the heart of a foundational paradigm of the supernatural work of God. The virgin birth, we can't take it, we can't leave it. That's why I think culture says, we'll take the Christmas, hold the Christ. Because when you speak of the conception, the divine conception of Christ, you're speaking about the virgin birth. Uh, let me extract a, a few tenets around the virgin birth that, that I think are important for us to note as we think about our Savior being born and conceived by the Holy Spirit. Number one, if you're keeping score, the virgin birth assumes the preexistent divine sonship of Jesus. We just jumped into the deep end. The virgin birth makes the assumption of the preexistence divine sonship of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth is fitting for one who was already the Son of God before his incarnation, knowing that the birth of Christ was not the beginning of Christ. We see this alluded to from Jesus himself in John chapter 8. That whole chapter, he's in a, he, he's in a, a, a conversational tussle with the Jews and the Pharisees. They're, they're going back and forth. And so I want to pick up toward the end of the chapter, John 50. John 8, 57 through 59, and see what Jesus says about himself. Because some say, hey, Jesus never claimed to be God. I think this passage clearly states Jesus' identification as the Son of God. Let me pick it up in verse 57 of John chapter 8. The Scripture says, So the Jews said to him, You are yet 50 years old. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? He's in his early 30s. Bad guess. Like, you're not even 50. Notice what they say. And you have seen Abraham? Notice what Jesus said to them, verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Say, I am. Yes. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, look at the response. Look in verse 59. So when they heard those words, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus himself went out of the temple. Why? What did he do? What instigated, what, 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 what propagated the group of people wanting to stone Jesus? Jesus is alluding to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where Moses is wondering, who do I tell the people has sent me? And Yahweh says, tell them, say it with me, I am. Am. So when Jesus alludes to that connection in Exodus chapter 3, they begin to understand he has just claimed to be the self-existent eternality. This is divine language. 
Hence, this is why we must stone him. It's what the law tells us to do. Look with me in Leviticus chapter 24, 16. The scripture says, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. So the inciting, right, the inflection point, the tipping point is that Jesus declares to be the preexistent divine Son of God. Paul also alludes to this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Notice what it says. God sent forth his Son. Jesus was born under the law, Paul says. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. So when you talk about the virgin birth, right, you begin to understand this this assumption of the preexistent sonship of Jesus Christ. This is a significant, significant tenet. Second of all, I want you to notice, the virgin birth shows that Jesus is fully human yet without sin. Jesus is fully human, yet without sin. He isn't superhuman. He's not Clark Kent. He's fully human. One theologian says that Jesus is man as God intended man to be. It's a very important thing to begin to understand that where Jesus had been born with a sinful nature, he would not be the sinless Savior. So he's born of a woman, fully human, yet without sin, fully God. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. It's an interesting concept, an interesting idea, this hypostatic union. You'll see the definition is here. It's the hypostatic union is the unity of Jesus' divine and human nature in one person. I mean, that's a lot on a Saturday evening, wouldn't you agree? That's a lot to take home. Like, pastor just came for the coffee and the cookies. Good. But understand this hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully God, while at the same time being fully man. Charles Ryrie said it this way about Jesus. He was never less than God, yet he chose to live never more than man. So Philippians 2 gives us some insight into this idea of the hypostatic union. Let's read verses 5 through 7. This is Paul. Here's the reading. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, notice what he says, did not account equality with God something, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is very, very important to try to understand what Paul is saying. If not, there's some significant error here if we're not careful. Notice what Paul says is that Jesus did not take something off the form of God, the morphe, the nature. He, he He doesn't remove the form of God. But he actually puts something on, and that is the form of a servant. Notice verse 6, what what Paul says. The form of God, that is his divine nature, the divine nature of Christ. 
Verse 7, we see that he, he takes on the form of a servant. That's his human nature. Bruce Ware said it this way. He says, the deity of Christ was unexpressed so that his humanity could be fully expressed. Are you with me? <laughs> the deity of Christ, unexpressed. He didn't empty himself of that deity. It's more like self-renunciation. I, 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 I no longer claim the right at this time. And he doesn't take it off. He leaves it on, but he also puts on the form of a servant, morphe, nature of a servant. Can I give you a bad illustration? You're like, yeah, we're pretty used to those, Pastor. Let me give you a bad illustration. Just trying to create a, a, a concept in your mind. Have you ever watched the show Undercover Boss? How many of you have seen the Undercover Boss? Okay. All right. It's a show, right, where the CEO or the boss makes a decision like, okay, I'm going to go undercover, and I'm going to see what's actually happening, uh, you know, on the ground floor of my company. So they do that, right? And, the, and the, sh the, the show shows them going undercover. So, so here's a guy by the name of Aller McKim. He is CEO of Clean Harbors, and that's a, a, a hazardous waste company, right? So you see the transformation, right? You see the guy on the left and, and, and the guy on the right. It's, it's kind of an interesting concept. And so, but I want you to know that, that when he makes that exterior transition, he, he's still CEO of Clean Harbors, is he not? He's still the CEO. He, he never relinquishes or gives up his position as the CEO of the company. But what he does and what they do in the show is that the CEOs, the men and women, they set aside the privileges of the CEO for a period of time. And in so doing, they identify with many of the company employees to bring about change and to identify with those employees, right? You've seen, you've seen the show. So that's the goal. They don't, he's not, he's still CEO. When he's cleaning dishes, when he's cleaning toilets at the restaurant, oh, he's still the CEO. But he has chosen intentionally for a time to set aside that privilege and connect with and understand the people who work with him and for him. And it's quite eye-opening. And then at the end, we all cry, right? And like, oh, my gosh, they're doing amazing things. Think of that concept just to some degree about Jesus being fully God and fully man. One theologian said Jesus renounced himself to redeem us. He renounced himself to redeem us. The virgin birth assumes that Jesus is the pre-existent divine Son of God. The virgin birth assumes that Jesus is fully human, and yet he's without sin. He's fully man. Third thing and last thing is that the virgin birth shows us God's initiative and the salvation of his people. God's behind the whole thing. Breaking news. He's behind the whole thing. It's all a part of his redemptive plan. He, he, he's bringing this amazing redemptive plan to fruition. And many times in and through our lives, it's his redemptive plan. He thought it. The old, the old evangelist said, he thought it, Jesus brought it, and I caught it. 
I remember that sermon. But there's great mystery here, isn't there? There, there's great mystery in this idea of, 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 of virgin birth and conception and, and, and Jesus born of a virgin. How, how does all of that work out, right? What does that mean? How, how do you put that together? We must agree that is, while it is majestic, there is some mystery to this as well. Wouldn't you agree? Luke chapter 1 gives us a little bit of insight into the mystery. So Luke chapter 1, I'll be reading verse 34 through 35, where Mary's in a conversation with Gabriel the angel. He has showed up. He has said, here's what's going to happen. You understand. You kind of know the story. But I want to pick up the reading there in verse 35, 34, I should say. So Mary says to the angel, how will this be? I want you to say that with me. How will this be? She's heard what's going to happen. She's heard it all from the angel, and she's like, wait, just I have a question, Gabriel. Shoot. How will this be? Well, we might even ask, how, how, how can this be? Notice what the angel said. Boy, he was ready, right? He was like, I hope Mary asked this because I'm ready. Notice what the angel said. He answered her and said, oh, here's how this can happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There it is. How does this happen? Wow. I'm going to conceive, and there's a baby, and, and Joe. What is going on? Oh, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and, and, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That's how it happened. Let's not be surprised by that, right? Let's not be caught off guard. Well, how would something like this possibly happen? How do we have a virgin birth? Oh, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the Almighty God at work again. Now, what's interesting in Luke 34 and 35, we see the interaction between Mary and Gabriel. Go down to verse 38. It's going to be on the screen. And, and I want you to see, this is kind of want to conclude the message with this idea that we see here in the verse. And Mary said, I want you to see that. There's power in the spoken word. Amen? There's power. In fact, the Scripture says life and death is in the tongue. So Mary didn't just think it. She says something that is life-changing. I, I want you to, to dial in. I want you to really to get focused just for the next few moments. And I want you to see something here that is incredibly, it is potential to change our lives. Notice what she says. She's a very young lady at this time, very young. But look at the wisdom of her words. Notice what she says. Behold, she identifies who she is. I am the servant of the Lord. Notice where she begins. A place of humility, a posture of coming to the Lord. This is who I am. I identify as a servant of the Lord. Here it is. Look at what she says. Let it be to me according to your word. There it is. Let it be to me according to your word. At that, notice what happens next. And the angel departed. He's like, yep, she got it. She understood it. 
it finally registered. Look at the words. Please look at the words. Let it be according to your word. Now, in the New Testament, two primary words for a word. One is logos. It's a powerful word. We see it in the Scripture. We see it, it's, the, it's the God's will manifested in many ways, primarily in Jesus Christ, right? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning. The word there, logos, is a reference to Jesus himself. So it's a very powerful, rich word. That's not what the word that Mary uses here. It's not what Luke records. He, he uses another word called rhema. You've probably heard of this, the, the rhema. Let, let's, let's define it. It's coming on the screen. Rhema is a word from the Scriptures where the Holy Spirit quickens to a specific person for a specific situation. Rhema is, this is Dan Spader's quote, when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it uniquely to our lives, context, or prayer request. Oh, don't miss this. Rhema is a specific word for the people of God, maybe in a moment, in a situation, in a circumstance. That's rhema. Now, why is this important? This is incredibly, incredibly important because maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're watching online and you're asking in your heart, how can this be? How can this be going on in my life? I, I, I didn't see this coming. So you're asking, how can this situation be happening in my life? How can this conflict be going on? How, how, how can this attitude that I can't seem to get victory over, how is this greed? How is this unforgiveness? How are these things, how can this be in my life? I, I, I would venture to say that some of us are asking that question. How can this be? If you haven't asked it, if you're not asking it now, you, you've asked it at some point in your life. How can this be? How can this fear have such a grip on my life? How can this be? You ever asked that question? Something like it? Life caught you off guard. You weren't sure what to do. You didn't see it coming. Boy, that's the nature of life, isn't it? Have you ever said to yourself, well, I didn't see that coming. Welcome to life. Maybe you've said, oh, that's horrible timing. Welcome to life. Not that there's a great timing for some of the difficult things of life, right? You're like, boy, now if that would have come three months later, we'd, we'd be in business. No. You've probably asked, as Mary did, oh, how in the world can this be? These are transformative words, friends. Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Now, this is not the Beatles song, let it be, right? Same, right? Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. You know that song? You've heard those words, right? They just left a portion out. Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Big difference, right? So I ask you this evening as we close our time together, what is God's word, his rhema, for your current situation? Your current situation. <clears throat> Most of us in the room have a situation going on, right? We have some type of situation, whether it's 
it's worry, it's fear, it's for unforgiveness, it, it, it's lust, it's greed, it, it's, it's a relationship. Most of us have something going on. Is that true? Yeah, we're human. What would God's Word, His rhema, be to that? What would He say? What's His Word say about that? First of all, you may be in the room and and you're like, I, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus. I've never really given my life to, to Christ. You know what His Word for you is? His rhema for you is? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I turn my life over to you. That's His Word to you now. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. But maybe you're already a follower. Something going, is going on in your life, and you're like, how can this be going on? I, I, I would encourage you to dive in to the Word of God, to pray, to look into this Word. And, and when you see what God says about it, sometimes He speaks through His Holy Spirit. Sometimes He will speak to us through a person. You're like, that was an interesting interaction. Pay attention. Sometimes he'll speak through a song, sometimes it's, it's through prayer, sometimes it's through a message, but there is a rhema for you and I for the situation we are in as we walk with God. And understanding that rhema, that word for you, as Mary understood it, how can this be? That how can it be will be in line with God's will and way for our lives as we submit ourselves as Mary did. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Not my opinion, not what I think's best, but according to the word of God. As you pray and look and obey the word of God, when we do, we too shall see God's supernatural intervention in our lives and in the world just as we did in the virgin birth. God's still alive. He's still active. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I'm closing, and, and I'm going to invite you to do something. Just for the next few moments, <clears throat> would you have the courage maybe to just look at something in your life and what I mean by something is it's that something that you're asking yourself, maybe you're asking God, how can this be? It seems impossible. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus, the guys are out fishing the disciples. And they haven't caught any fish. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, guys, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat? He's speaking to professional fishermen. And they say, nevertheless, at your word, we will do what you say. So at whatever point in your life, you may be asking right now, how can this be? I want you to apply the Word of God to that. You may have to go home. You may have to pray about it. You may have to look in the Scriptures. Say, God, what does your Word say about this? And then you just tell the Lord, may it be unto me 
according to your word. Father, give us grace and strength. Father, may we fully embrace the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a passe tenet of life. It is a core element of our faith. So we embrace it. We give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.